And in Kentucky, some schools are trying to get students back in the classroom by August. Board school districts are still waiting on guidance from the state and time is running out. And I think school districts are still trying to figure out what's going to happen, what school is going to look like, what are they going to be required to do um, in this new age where COVID-19 is always going to be at the back of their minds without any sort of vaccine or treatment or, or anything like that. From the digital journalists of WDRP.com, this is Uncovered, a behind-the-scenes look at stories affecting education, business, criminal justice, and more in Louisville, Kentucky. And now for the show. This is Chris Otts of WDRB.com. Schools in Kentucky have been closed since mid-March, and now we're in summer break. And there are a lot of questions about how the next school year begins and what will be different and if there are closures because of the pandemic, what that means for childcare and the economy. Kevin Wheatley is WDRB.com's education reporter. He's been following this, including some news by public officials in Kentucky this week, and I had him on to discuss the situation. Well, it's not a given that schools are going to reopen in August. Uh, the Kentucky Department of Education has asked school districts to plan for uh, early reopenings during the summer, regular reopenings in uh, August, and then later reopenings um, at the start of the 2020-21 school year. Um, we haven't seen anybody open their doors you know, early just yet. We haven't heard any, any concrete plans to do so. And I think school districts are still trying to figure out what's going to happen, what school is going to look like, what are they going to be required to do um, in this new age where COVID-19 is always going to be at the back of their minds without any sort of vaccine or treatment or, or anything like that to com combat the disease. Well, Kevin, we're mid-June right now. Don't you think that school districts need to set out a plan and let people know what's going to happen uh, come mid-August? Uh, when do you think all these decisions will be made? I, you know, I would expect something to start being solidified in the next couple of weeks. Um, I know that uh, there are a lot of anxious parents out there about are thinking about what's going to happen with their kids. Um, are they going to have to find childcare, um, you know, going into August or September, those months where, you know, they're usually at school. And so, um, you know, the Go governor Bashir and Lieutenant governor Coleman talked about this at a news conference on Monday. And, uh, when it, uh, Lieutenant governor Coleman, who was a former educator herself, uh, spoke to reporters, she said that right now there's, there's still talks about what school is going to look like. Um, given these public health guidelines in response to COVID-19, we've, we've heard about students having to wear masks unless they're um, not able to because of some sort of uh, condition that they might have. We've heard about social distancing. What does that mean for the classrooms? A lot of classrooms have, you know, 30 plus uh, students in them. So you're going to have to either find ways to, to greatly reduce that uh, number so you can space, space kids out or, um, you know, find different spaces for teachers to, to uh, teach in. Um, sanitizing surfaces is, is another thing. Um, how do you, where do you do the temperature checks on kids? Do you do it at the bus stop or do you do it before they enter school? 
Um, you know, there's a lot of different factors that um, people in education are having to grapple with right now um, in this new age and trying to figure out what's the best way, what's the safest way to get the school doors reopened uh, so kids can go back to class, go back to this traditional uh, learning. But it's going to look different for a while, um, you know, until we get some sort of resolution on uh, vaccines, treatments, how, how uh, to beat back this virus. Yeah, good luck getting elementary kids to wear masks. <laughs> Is that something that's actually contemplated? Yeah, that's something that um, has, has been discussed, requiring kids and teachers to wear masks. Um, unless there there is something that that uh, precludes them from doing so, maybe a medical condition or special needs or something like that. Um, but that is a serious something that uh, school districts are, are seriously looking at um, to prevent the spread of COVID nineteen to, to get kids to wear masks. Uh, let's just briefly touch on. Uh, I know we have listeners uh, throughout the metro area. But most of our listeners are going to be concerned about Jefferson County Public Schools. What have they said about how things will look uh, in August and how they're thinking about whether to come back or not in person? Or have they said anything about it at this point? Well, they're still in the planning stages right now. I know that Superintendent Polio, we spoke to him uh, a few weeks back. You know, we are preparing for different scenarios. We know an early start would be very challenging under the current circumstances. And I've also talked about how difficult some of the social distancing guidelines and those recommendations from the CDC will be in the fall and how challenging that's going to be for us. Um, but we are preparing for all scenarios. And he and said that gonna, there's uh, a uh, reopening task force that they've convened. Uh, we haven't heard anything about reopening plans just yet. Um, some of the things that you have to consider with a, such a large school district with a large number of students who are in uh, who qualify for free or reduced price lunch, you know, there's an issue with getting masks for staff members at JCPS right now. And so imagine having to try to, to find masks on a regular basis for thousands upon thousands of kids. Um, you know, because you know, the question becomes if you require masks and you don't provide them for low income kids, is that the most equitable way to, to do that? Um, that's something that JCPS is grappling with right now. Um, you know, the social distancing guidelines as well. You know, w one of the things, too, is, is having to take temperatures of kids. And that's one of the things that uh, Dr. Polio has said, Dr. Marty Polio, the superintendent. Um, do you take temperatures of kids at bus stops before they get on buses, before they're transported to schools? Um, because if you don't, if you just take them at, at the school building, at the entrance, then you run into the issue of, well, they've already been on a bus. They've already been around other people other students, um, bus drivers. So you, you run into a potential um, situation where COVID-19, if it's detected later, could be spread. Um, so right now, I think everything's kind of up in the air about what's going to happen at JCPS. Um, I know that, that they were following the guidance from the state about um, planning for re different reopening uh, models at, at different times. So, you know, you know, like you said, the clock's ticking on this, and, and I would expect to hear something relatively soon so parents can get a better idea of what they need to do with their kids if schools don't reopen in time. Wow, this is all very tricky as you just laid out there, Kevin. 
But on Monday, the Kentucky Department of Education did release some guidance. And I know this didn't answer all the questions, but what did that document say and what are the key takeaways from that? So essentially, the Kentucky Department of Education released guidance that uh, directs schools to plan for different levels of school closures in case uh, COVID there's a resurgence of COVID-19. Schools can go uh, close for the short term, which is a day or two. They can close for the midterm, which is anywhere from three to 10 days. Or they can be closed for the long term if uh, COVID-19 comes back and, and there's a need for it for any period longer than 11 days. And so uh, essentially what the, the Department of Education wanted to do was get uh, school districts to start thinking about how they're going to continue offering education. We saw every school district in Kentucky transition to uh, non-traditional instruction. And uh, the only times that that is contemplated in, in this uh, closure document is in medium or long-term uh, closures. Now, that doesn't mean a school district can't plan to go to non-traditional instruction if it closes for a day or two, but it's just not something that the state says is, is as important as if there's multiple days where, where kids are going to be out. Um, another interesting thing was they didn't really recommend uh, these emergency meal services that we've seen uh, throughout the state where uh, until long-term closures, until schools are closed for 11 days or more, I suspect that the districts like JCPS with high numbers of low-income uh, families would continue to offer some sort of meals, even if they're closed for a day. I, I can't imagine that they would um, would take the the public relations hit and, and not feed so kids in that about, instance. Uh, so, you know, this kind of lays out a little bit of a groundwork on how school districts can prepare for uh, intermittent closures next school year in case COVID-19 makes any sort of resurgence uh, in Kentucky. And number three, getting our kids back to school. Uh, our lieutenant governor and a task force at Kevin on Monday, Park, Governor Bashir devoted a significant portion of his uh, press conference that is normally all about COVID-19 uh, to the school's issue. What was said there and what are the key uh, key takeaways? So basically this was getting school districts to prepare um for reopening guidance to come out down the line. And something that Governor Bashir told uh, told the press there yesterday was that um, there's going to be some mandatory requirements for schools and there's going to be some highly recommended requirements for schools to safely reopen in the fall. Um, you know, we don't know exactly what those mandatory requirements are going to be um, it, it, or what sort of enforcement there's going to be if, if school districts don't follow these mandatory requirements. What are they, what's the state going to do to make sure that this is going to be enforced? Um, so really right now, we don't really have a whole lot of answers uh, to what's going to happen. Uh, three months ago tomorrow, uh, the Department of Education put together um, an education continuation task force. Uh, uh, Lieutenant Governor Coleman talked about this of, continuous um, education task force and uh, the planning process force. around that. And they're uh, still talking about things like um, how, does, how do school districts follow public health guidelines on masking, on social distancing, uh, things like that. So there's definitely a lot of questions out there that haven't been answered that parents and school districts are going to need to know in the next couple of months. Did uh, Coleman say anything else that's worth talking about <clears throat> or mentioning? So Lieutenant Governor Coleman announced that four lawmakers are now part of this education continuation task force, 
which is uh, interesting because we've heard a lot from lawmakers that they're just not involved in these sort of reopening plans. So this is really the first phase where uh, Kentucky lawmakers have been uh, giving their input on how you know a, a, a phase of, of Kentucky's economy and, and uh, schools are allowed to reopen. Uh, Senator Maxwise and Representative Regina Huff, who are chair people of the Senate and House Education Committees, and uh, Democrats, uh, Senator Reggie Thomas and Representative Tina Bojanowski are also on that task force. Um, so there is a legislative input on this facet of it. I know that there are probably going to be some Republicans who grumble about not being involved in the economic side of things. Um, but it, that was definitely an interesting thing to hear that there are uh, legislators now who are giving their input on how schools should reopen. You know, Kevin, among the many complications with this, you can certainly see all the challenges of keeping students safe and limiting the spread of the coronavirus with reopening schools. But if schools are not open, that is a whole different situation for people who count on schools essentially to uh, to have a safe place for their kids so that they can go to work. And you can't imagine the disruption that would be created if suddenly schools are closed for a long period of time, there's not going to be the daycare capacity, even if daycares are allowed uh, allowed open. So uh, I just wonder, you know, how that calculus is weighing on the decision makers here. I think it's got to be weighing a lot on uh, policymakers on how, you know, what, ah, let me start that over. I think it is weighing a lot on policymakers on uh, how to reopen schools because there is a, a gigantic impact uh, economically uh, if parents are going to work they're gonna they want places to, to leave their kids that's gonna be they're, they're gonna be safe they're gonna learn something and uh, you know schools are such a uh, fabric of everyday life that um, I don't think that anybody wants to see prolonged closures of schools or, or even at this point even a late start I think people are ready to get back to normal or a, more of a sense of normalcy than than uh, currently. So I think there's a lot of pressure on people like uh, Governor Bashir and Lieutenant Governor Coleman and others on this um, education continuation task force to figure out a sustainable way for school districts uh, to reopen in this uh, COVID-19 world and on school districts to implement those steps. Kevin, you mentioned non-traditional instruction. That is basically virtual instruction, online instruction, um, I know in JCPS, they were giving out thousands and thousands of Chromebook laptops to kids. But this virtual instruction is really not a great substitute for the regular in-classroom schooling that we are used to. And in the last couple of months, uh, as schools went to virtual instruction, there really were some problems revealed with that, weren't there? Yeah, I don't think anybody has said that um, non-traditional instruction is going to be a replacement for in-person in-person instruction. Um, you know, obviously the big thing that uh, people were concerned about is the lack of access to technology and the internet that we see not just here in, in Jefferson County, but in uh, throughout the state. I mean, there's a lot of rural areas that don't have um, access to the internet. If they can't get access to it, it's either through... Um, mobile data or satellite. So um, that's something that we've seen. We've seen um, schools that were, weren't able to reach 
electronically or, or involved in any sort of classroom activity, you know, thousands of kids that didn't um, show anything. And a lot of school districts um, enacted grading policies that uh, non-traditional instruction would only help their grades and not necessarily hurt them. And so if you think about mid-March, um, that's getting towards the tail end of the school year, but there's still a lot of time left for instruction. There were kids that were working on their grades to bring them up to graduate or to uh, move on to the next grade. And I know a lot of school districts are were grappling with how the, be the best way to do that um, to let them recover those credits. And so, you know, there's there are definitely a lot of issues. I think the main ones are around uh, access to the digital resources. And, you know, you, you talk about that not being a, a substitute for traditional instruction. You know, think about the kids that were stuck with paper packets and didn't really have a connection with their teachers during this time because their households didn't have the Internet. And um, JCPS tried to try to bridge that gap by giving uh, special needs households uh, these data hotspots through T-Mobile. And I know there was a promotion also through um, a Charter or through Spectrum that allowed families in low-income households and K through K through 12 households to sign up for the internet. But that was, if you had outstanding bills, you weren't included in that. So that kind of um, harmed some low-income families who might've uh, had their internet um, pulled because of uh, they couldn't afford the, the monthly bill. They could still have outstanding payments due to uh, spectrum. So, um, you know, there's just a lot of issues that people are, are right now grappling with. And I know that JCPS has said it wants to buy more Chromebooks to send home with kids and, and try to find other ways to um, bridge that digital digital divide here. But, you know, it's not just a problem here. It's a problem everywhere throughout the state. Kevin, if the school districts in Kentucky are preparing to be out for a day or two or up to 10 days at a time because of the pandemic, have state officials said that there's going to be an expectation that districts make up those days on at the end of the school semester, so to speak, um, just like they would snow days? Or is that something that's yet to be determined? Well, you got to remember with non-traditional instruction, that technically allows school districts to, to count those days as learning days. Um, we saw this after um, this past recently in the General Assembly after uh, school districts said they wanted this option in the event that there's snow. And now we have this world of COVID-19. So there's not necessarily going to be any, any expectation to make up those days. If there's long, prolonged uh, closures like we saw now here uh, this past school year, they're going to have those instructional days counted if they uh, implement non-traditional instruction, which uh, all school districts in Kentucky uh, did this year. And I, I fully expect that to continue into um, into the upcoming school year. Kevin, uh, previously on this podcast, we covered how the Jefferson County School Board is seeking additional tax revenue in May. They voted for an increase in property taxes that would amount to 9.5% uh, increase in what homeowners pay uh, each year to the school district. Uh, but it's not a done deal. There's the possibility that voters could have to approve that increase on the ballot in November, uh, and there's an effort to make that happen. Tell us what's going on and how far along 
uh, the opponents of this tax increase are with that effort. So this is an effort largely led by the Louisville Tea Party, um, and they are at last check at about 19,000 signatures, and they need 35, about 35, 36,000 signatures in order to put it on the ballot. And they have until July 10th to do so. Um, you know, right now we don't know exactly how many of those people are uh, verified voters in the JCPS taxing district. And so, you know, those, those signatures have to be verified by the county clerk's office. And until then, we don't really have a good idea of, of exactly how many people have signed this petition to put this issue on the ballot before voters in the, in the fall. Um, you know, they're, they're well on the way to getting that goal. But right now we're sitting at about the halfway point. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's going to be very telling on the community atmosphere uh, for a tax increase or against a tax increase. Um, if they're able to cross that threshold and put it on the ballot, which would be the ultimate uh, poll on whether or not uh, their support to raise the property tax rate for JCPS. Okay, Kevin, thank you very much for discussing all this. And I know you're going to stay on top of these questions about what school is going to look like and when it starts. And we'll be following up with you on that. But I very much appreciate your time as always. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. The Uncovered Podcast is a production of WDRB Media. Please subscribe, review, and rate wherever you get your podcasts.